Paul goes full on mom today. We're at Galatians 4, verse 8. For those of you who are new with us today, we are going through this amazing, incredible letter you'll find in the New Testament in the Bible called Galatians. And it's really about the heart of what it means to have a relationship with God and speaks against the biggest misunderstanding people have about a relationship with God. And today we hit this point at 4, verse 8, where Paul just goes full on mom. Let me explain to you what I mean. Moms seem to have this unique ability. And I don't understand it because I'm not a mom. But they seem to have this unique ability that when they are disciplining, scolding, correcting, punishing, if you will, and they're doing it verbally, they can pull out of this secret arsenal every dirty trick in one continual flow of thought from, from like threatening to wooing to sympathizing to identifying to coercing to begging to expressing love all in one narrative. It's like you are being assaulted from every single angle and they do it so effortlessly. It's like, it's like witnessing a symphony at play. I mean, have you ever experienced this? Uh, have, you, have you ever like lived through this with your mom? Yeah, we have. We can admit it, right? Moms, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't know how you do it. Because it's, it's like, I, I ask myself, is this like something, in, is it like genetically hardwired? You just like instinctually know how to do this? Or is it secret wisdom that's passed down from mother to daughter that cannot be shared with a Y chromosome on pain of death? I don't know. But Paul has seemed to pick up on this in one way or another. And like an exasperated mom who's at the end of her ropes with kids who just don't get it or just won't listen. It's like he's throwing up his hands and he is pulling every mom trick out of the book to try to woo, win, correct, help these Galatians to see, to get them, to listen to him, that your relationship with God is not about following commands and rules and being a good person. It's not about what you do. It's about what God has done for you in Christ. Pick up with me. At Galatians 4, verse 8, I'm going to pop this on the screen, and I want to show you how he moms them through this section. He opens it by saying, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or, or rather, or better, are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable principles? How is it that you're turning back? How is it, guys, that you're going back to what we talked about again and again? Do you wish to be enslaved by these people? Do you really want them to have control over you? Do you really want to live your life this way? You hear, Mom, coming out of this? Right? Right? He goes on. He goes on. 
I'm just afraid for you. I'm just afraid for you. No, you know what? Maybe it's my fault. You know what? I've wasted my time, 18 years. This is on me. No, honey, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Please, please learn from me. Learn from me. Come on. I've raised you right. I've showed you how to do it. Be like me. Don't you want to be like your mom? You know, I'm trying to empathize with you here. I get what it's like to be in your shoes. I'm meeting you halfway. I, I've been there. I've been like you, right? Do you know that I've been exactly where you've been before, right? You know, you have done me no wrong. I'm not here to get back at you. This isn't revenge. I'm not paying it back on you. No, no. You've treated me so well. You've been such a good son. You've been such a good daughter. Even though my illness was a trial to you, even though you've had to put up with me as your mom, you've never treated me like this before. No, you've always treated me well, right? Oh my gosh, right? I think Paul was a woman. Are your life choices really making you happy? Is this really working out for you? I am not your enemy. I am not against you. I'm not trying to hurt you by what I'm telling you right now. And I got to tell you, these new friends of yours, I don't think they're good for you. I see what you're like when you're around them and they're not up to any good. Trust me on this. They are trying to get between us, right? Oh my gosh, can't you see? You know, it's fine to be with them, but don't you see that you're a different person when you're around them? No, you've got to be you. You can't let them change you or influence you. You can't be a different person when you're in their midst. Oh, come on, honey, my dear children, come here. Come here. Come here, let mama give you a hug. All right? And then he pulls out the ultimate mom card at the end. Don't you forget who brought you into this world. <laughs> I went through 20 hours of labor with you. Do you want to see the stretch marks? <laughs> and this, this, what you're putting me through now? Oh my gosh, it's worse. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to talk to you this way but I am utterly perplexed. How I wish we could just talk like reasonable, civil people. That you would just listen and it didn't have to come to this. I am perplexed by you. That is a mom. Paul has pulled out every mom card in the book. 
and like an exasperated mom who just can't get through to her kids. He's throwing up his hands, perplexed, beside himself, angry, frustrated, worried, afraid, feeling like a failure because when those who you are closest to are doing things that are destroying their life and faith, you play every card that you have, don't you? Moms often don't want to be that kind of mom. God does not want to be that kind of God. But when those you love just aren't listening, you will say virtually anything to try to get your attention. That's what Paul's doing. And that is what Galatians is all about. The Galatians were enslaved. No, they're not literal slaves. At least it doesn't seem to be. I'm not saying they were actual slaves in the Roman Empire, but they were metaphorically enslaved to a pattern of life, a way of thinking that went at odds with what God had showed them in Christ and Paul had made clear to them. Better put, I like saying it this way, the Galatians were institutionalized. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. He writes, he writes, you know, there was once upon a time when you didn't know God and you were slaves to other things because we're all owned by something. We are, more on that later. But when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who are by nature, not God's. But now that you know God, or better put, are, are known by God, because it's about what God does, not what we do, how is it that you're going back to the old way? How is it that you're going back to this old life that Paul calls slavery? These old habits, these old patterns, these old ways of thinking and living and feeling. Why, when you have been set free, are you going back there? You know what I mean. We all have the tendency to do this. We come across something. We see a new way of living, a new way of life. It's better. We come to learn something, to believe something, and it changes perspective and trajectory. But it doesn't mean that the old way just simply goes away and dies somewhere. No, it's like it's still over there with a gravitational pull trying to bring us back. You know what I mean? We can call it addiction. We can call it bad habits. We can call it recidivism. We can call it the Stockholm effect. There's a thousand manifestations for this that you will see people do this with. We've all been there. If you've ever had that moment where you say to yourself, I did it again. Even though you vowed you wouldn't. Even though you know 
It's fundamentally not good. It's actually destructive. And despite this resolution of will, to never do it again, you find yourself pulled back into its draft, right? I did it again. The Galatians were institutionalized. I love this way of talking about it. And I'm going to show you a video clip in a moment to explain what I mean. It's from, for me, what's one of my favorite movies of all time, and, and Tony Theismann's apparently too, called The Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen it? It's, people are even cheering for it. All right. Those of you under the age of 30, watch it. I might even go so far as to say it's a top 10 movie, if you allow me to include trilogies as one. Absolute powerful movie about a person who is imprisoned and the effect that prison has on the prison population. The clip I'm going to show you in just a moment comes on the heels of a man named Brooks. Brooks has spent over 40 years, 50 years actually, I think, at the prison at Shawshank. And he's finally come up for parole. It sounds like good news. But he won't have it. He's afraid. He has a breakdown. He has a breakdown so bad that he takes a shank to one of his friend's neck, willing to do anything to get the parole removed. So he could say, who would ever want to stay in prison? And yet it's the life he came to know. As a young man, became a part of the institution. And now as an old man, being asked to change, change doesn't always come so easy, does it? Even if change is for the better and for the good. This clip I want to show you it's some of the inmates reflecting on this. It kind of speaks to me, it really does, about this tendency we have to go back to old patterns, bad habits, addictions, if you will, to former and poorer ways of thinking and living. It's your old film. I just don't understand what happened in there, that's all. It's just... It's just institutionalized. Institutionalized, my... The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You know what I'm trying to say? Fred, I do believe you're talking out of your... You believe whatever you want, Floyd. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. You can never get like that. Oh, yeah? 
Say that when you've been here as long as Brooks is. They send you here for life? That's exactly what they take. Part that counts anyway. The Galatians had become so used to trying to please God by their own efforts and be accepted by God by what they do. That even when they heard the good news that it's not about what they do, but what Christ did for them, there is still this drift back to the old patterns, the old beliefs, the old ways. They're institutionalized. Because when you live your life thinking that your relationship with God is dependent on you, it doesn't just go away because someone tells you Good news. And this is what Paul is railing against, calling them back against. He says in this section, become like me, for I became like you. This is not some egotistically driven statement. What Paul is saying is this, you're a Gentile. I'm a Jew. But as a Jew, I'm not even trying to get right with God by what I do. Do you remember Galatians chapter 2? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. I am a Jew. You are a Gentile. And yet, despite being a Gentile, you are still trying to get right with God like a Jew. You're trying to do it through the works of the Mosaic law. But even me, who am a Jew, am not trying to do it that way. Become like me. Learn from me. Learn from me who is in thicker than you. That it's about what God does, not what you do. Become like me. I've become like you. I don't live like a Jew because I know it is not dependent upon the Mosaic law. I know it is not about what I do. Maybe put another way, what Paul is saying throughout this letter and in this section can be reduced to this one phrase. You need to reject religion and embrace Jesus. Understood correctly, this is the thrust of Galatians. Religion, from one perspective, can be defined on what we do to draw closer to God, get up to God, appease the gods, become one with God, find enlightenment of God within us, or any number of manifestations that different cultures and religions will speak of it today. But it's all unified by one central idea. What is it 
that I have to do. It assumes that there is a separation, that God is here and I am not, and it is up to me to get where God is. But have you ever realized how Christianity is very different than that? That the message of the Bible is actually the exact opposite of that? That it is not about us going up, but God coming down? That God did not bring people up to heaven, but came down to earth? That God did not make us into gods, but he became a man? Because Christianity is not about what religion means from that certain perspective. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does for you. What Paul is saying to the Galatians is you need to start rejecting religion in your life. You need to walk away from it. These systems, these rules, these, these, these things you think you've got to immerse yourself in to somehow be pleasing to God or accepted by him or, or numbered among his people. Oh, Galatians, you're going back to these weak and miserable principles, he says, enslaved by things that he even calls gods or idols, if you will. Because religion actually is that. From this perspective, an idol. Let me explain this to you. Let me flesh this out. The Galatian world, the Roman world, it was rooted in paganism. An idea that it is up to me to placate or appease the gods. What do I have to do to win their favor or get them off my back? The belief system among the pagans of the time, and of course today as well, is that there was a manifestation of different gods and spirits and divine entities that, 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 that influenced and controlled different aspects of the world. And while none of them was really all powerful, all of them were more powerful than us. And at some fundamental level, they weren't really concerned with humanity. At best, they tolerate us. And at worst, we take them off. And so the entire religious persuasion of the day simply revolved around this. What do I have to do to get them to do something for me? Or what do I have to do to buy them off, to get them off my back? Kind of like the mafia. They're not all powerful. But you don't really want to be on the wrong side of them. And if you want something from them, they're not going to give it freely. If you think about the Pantheon as the mafia, a farmer who wants his crops to grow might go and give sacrifice to Baal, the storm god, so he would send rain. A new mom or one that's expecting might go and give sacrifice to Artemis, the virgin huntress, so she wouldn't be offended by her sexual activity and therefore strike her down in childbearing or maybe strike her child down too. You lived to win their favor or stave them off. But the gods were not just things. 
like Baal and Artemis, Zeus and Apollos. These personifications, if you will, they could be anything, power, fame, money, love, success. Because anything that we seek and make central to our life becomes an idol, if you will, a god, if I can call it that way. And what we do in service to it is by nature worship itself. Now the Jews, the Jews abhorred idolatry. And the Jews that were coming, these Christian Jews that were coming and misleading the Galatians, they abhorred idolatry too. But Paul is speaking to something more insipid, a covert idolatry that often is embraced and wrapped in religiosity because religion can become your idol too. Because if you base your life on seeking God for the purpose of trying to win his favor or buy him off, you have stepped away from the one true God and have created a false image of him instead. And whatever anxiety or need or want or drive that's sending you down that road for that end can become an idol to you too. And this is what the Galatians were doing. They were elevating the Mosaic law, be it circumcision or purity laws, or even just the ethical way in which they would live and centering their life in it. Their life in it as the sum, total, and core of what it meant to be close to God, loved by God, near by God, accepted by God, and turning God into an idol and practicing a strange, perverse form of idolatry instead. It's easy to do. It's so easy to do. And I find it is just as easy for the religious as the irreligious. Sometimes the religious are the worst idolaters of all, who thinking that they have cast off other things have yet nonetheless traded the one true God for the power of their own practice and spirituality. And it can be all the more dangerous because an irreligious person knows that they're far from God. But a religious person deludes themselves into thinking that what they're doing is truly God-honoring. And Paul comes out at this point in the letter with every card he can play. Why can't you see this? Why can't you understand this? Why can't you come to grips that a relationship with God has nothing to do with you? It is what Christ has done for you. Why are you going back to these weak and miserable principles? Why are you being enslaved all over again? It's like someone who's been released from prison going back to the jailer 
and saying, lock me up. I want to spend another 50 years even though they could be free. Who would do that? I'll tell you. You could do that. And me. Because new ways of thinking don't always equate to new ways of living. And old habits don't die that easily. And for those of us who lived with a mindset that it was up to us to get right with God, it's up to me, it's going to reach out for you. Again and again, it's easy to go back to that place. And if you hear anything from this letter of Galatians and anything from me today, it's a warning, an exasperation, a pleading, a wooing, a coercing, a begging, if you will, to base your life in what Christ has done, not what you have to do. I want to wrap this up with a video today from a guy named Jefferson Bethke. Some of you may have seen this. It's come out several years ago, but it speaks to this just so spot on. Hopefully the way he puts it can give you some lasting encouragement in what this message of Galatians that you see here is getting that today. Here we go. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you and he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. 